Good morning. Hey, um, my name is Mike. I am filling in this morning because both of our pastors are away in Southern California. Um, I think that I know that Josh is leading in worship at a conference and Bran is speaking. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool that we're able to share our our pastors with other people, isn't it? And um, so gives gives us an opportunity to... um, to share the, the gifts and talents that our pastors have been blessed with with other people. So that's, that's really a neat opportunity. Uh, is, but, and I was thinking, how great is it? You know, you have to go down and suffer for Jesus in San Diego because that's where they are. And then, but I was thinking also that, but they're missing an absolutely gorgeous Idaho fall day, are they not? I mean, it's beautiful out there. Now, I got to admit, I got up early and it's cold out there. It was like 30 degrees, and that, but it's going to be 72 today. Um, and, and that, you just can't beat how beautiful it is. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, we're blessed. We're definitely blessed. I uh, was recently on the internet um, wasting time. And uh, I don't know why I do this, but I, I have this thing where I'll sit and just fly through YouTube and watch crazy stuff. And sometimes I think I'm probably too old for YouTube, but then I realize it doesn't really matter because there's uh, crazy stuff on there for everybody, right? And I, I, I like it all from the cats to the dogs to the crazy people and all that. And, um, I, for somehow, I, I found um, this web, this, this, not website, but this actually video that's from 1996. And um, it was back, and it was a newscast that was posted. And the newscast was from a, somewhere in the Chicago area. And it was a story about a three-year-old little boy who had fallen into a gorilla pit at, at the local zoo. And they, somebody, somebody had actually had video. You know, that's back before there were cell phones to do video 96 right I mean you were lucky to have a cell phone in 96 and then um, and then and if you did it looked like a brick and uh, but you know and so but somebody was there with a video camera and I know because I owned one of these at one time back in the day when we were when tech was really cool high tech was one of those camcorders and I, I don't even know what it's called a camcorder is a v, VCR or VHS or whatever it's called it was a giant thing and you put it on your shoulder and it had it this one probably had a cable that ran out of it down to a box you carried and you put the tape in it this was back before it went into the little thing and uh, you know and now um, but I was thinking somebody recorded that and they showed this 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 would happen and this is what happened this little boy fell into this pit and there were a bunch of gorillas around and they all started moving toward him and people were freaking out and then this one gorilla named Bente which is a female gorilla she ran up and blocked the other gorillas from this little boy who has was basically he was unconscious in the pit you can go check this out and she scooped him up and, um, and the story says that she scooped him up and she treated him gently and then she carried him over to the door that opened up to the gorilla pit and laid him down there and supposedly held off the other gorillas while they came and got him. And she was, you know, heralded as the savior gorilla. And, um, and, and I, well, I, well, I thought that was an interesting story, so I started doing some research on it. And that's basically, truthfully, what happened. This gorilla, you know, and, and you don't really catch all that in the newscast on, on, uh, on the YouTube clip, but you can research that. And it, in fact, there was an article about 15 years ago, this gorilla. So save this little boy. It's an anniversary, and the gorilla's still doing fine, hanging in there. And, and, uh, and I, I was thinking about that and, you know, and trying to make application for today's sermon, and there is none. So, um, but I, I did try to make some application, and I thought, you know, I thought, you know my, my life, in fact, all of life is kind of like a gorilla pit, right? I mean, you're just thrown into it, you know, and you're there, 
and there's all these gorillas around, and you're going, how did I get myself into this? And, uh, and you know that one of them's going to pound the daylights out of you, and you just want one of them to step up and help you out. You know, you just need a little help. We find ourselves in life just wanting a little bit of help. Still has nothing to do with today's sermon, but the point that I guess that I'm making is, is that life is not always easy. Life is not always easy. And I think that as we experience more and more and more of life, we, um, we can become disillusioned. I mean, I always look at um, young couples, you know, that they're, they look so in love, right? And then you wonder what they're going to be like in 30 years after marriage. And, uh, you know, and, uh, so, and you, because life has its way of beating you up. And you look at occupation, you know, we, you know, we go into it and what, we, we're trying to get a degree. We get a degree because we want to do something great with that degree. And um, some people um, get to do what they want, but a lot of people don't end up doing what they want to do. And so 20 years down the road, you're going, how did I get here? And this is not, and I, once again, I'm in this gorilla pit, you know? Well, how did I get? I just fell into this. And it's just the way life works. Um, that being said, we really do need a savior. Um, and that does have something to do with what we're talking about today. And so we're going to continue our series in the book of Matthew. If you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, we're going to spend all of our time in Matthew chapter 4 today. And we're going to be looking at verses, we're going to be looking at verses, I panicked, I thought I left my glasses somewhere and I was like, I'm going to have to do, not somebody else is going to have to read this. Um, So then it's, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 25 um, of Matthew chapter 4. But before we jump into Matthew 4, I want to um, review a little bit about just where we are and, and how, well, before we even go where we are, let's talk about the Bible in general. The Bible is made up of various genres of literature. I know you know that, right? There's the law, which is the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. There's historical books, which are a lot of them, are, um, most of them are Old Testament as well. There's poetry, right? You got the Psalms. There's wisdom literature, which would be Proverbs and, and Song of Solomon. And then there is the, um, there's uh, prophetic literature that's in there. Then you also have um, the epistles. And the epistles are letters that were written to various churches. And in the epistles, we find the specific application to, to problems and situations in um, the New Testament church. And then there's tons of doctrine in it as well. And, uh, and then we have the Gospels, which are written. Now, listen, the Gospels are written to give us the narrative and the story of Jesus Christ. And these Gospels are written, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if you know this, and if you don't, this is good. And if, it's, if you do know it, then I'm sorry, but it's kind of review, is that the Gospels, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of the Gospels are written about the narrative and the story of Jesus, but each one of them focuses on a different facet or aspect of Jesus himself. Did you know that? For instance, the Gospel of John focuses on the fact that Jesus was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Start from the beginning. He says, this book is this letter, this, uh, this um, gospel is about Jesus, who is God. And then if you look at uh, Luke, that gospel focuses not on Jesus' deity, but it fo- focuses on Jesus' humanity. And Luke being a doctor, I think that's probably good. He focuses on the humanity of Jesus. If you look at... Um, 
If you look at Mark, it for, focuses on the aspect that Jesus is a servant. He comes to be the suffering servant. And if you look at Matthew, where we have been, the focus is on the fact that Jesus is the king, the coming Messiah. And all of these stories come together, all of these narratives come together. But when the writers write their narrative, okay, they don't write everything necessarily in chronological order. They're trying to make a point, right? Now, everything that they write is true. It's part of the stories of Jesus' life, and it's the history of Jesus' life. But what they do is they craft, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they craft their narrative and their story and their gospel to focus upon the point that they're trying to make and the, and the point about who Jesus is. And so when we see this and we turn to this passage in the, um, the gospel of Matthew, where we are today, Bren left us... If you remember at verse 11 last week when it says this, then the, this is after the temptation of Jesus, then the devil left him, Jesus, and the angels came and attended to him. Now the next verse, which we're going to focus on today, verse 12, says when Jesus heard that, and we'll stop there, okay, when Jesus heard that, before we go here, I want you to know something, that between verse 11 and verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4, there is a one-year gap. You go, whoa, whoa, how, what happened? You know, how could he just skip all that? Because he's writing a narrative to make the point of Jesus as king. But if you want to know what happened in that one year, you can go to, Matt, or to, go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 19, through John chapter 4, verse 50-something, um, I think it is. Let me make sure. Yeah, I'm sorry, 42. So John 4, 42. And during that time, you'll see that that's what's going on in Jesus' life at that time. Yeah, um, so does that make sense? Everybody good? All right. So, and you go, why is that important? Well, it's important because people look at the, the Gospels and they go, this doesn't make sense. I mean, when you look at this, when we're going to look at this passage where Jesus talks about calling his disciples, you go, well, wait a second. He did it a different way over here. In this other gospel, it says it's a completely different story. And then people go, see, I told you the Bible doesn't even work. It doesn't even make sense. The stories are all different. No, they're not all different. They're different stories. I mean, Jesus, if you, in this story, Jesus didn't walk up on the side of the, the uh, ocean, or the ocean, the Sea of Galilee, which was really a lake, and it's not even that big. Um, the lake of Galilee, the lake of Galilee, he doesn't walk up on the shore lake and, and sees James and John and the other guys in the boat and go, never, having never met them before, said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they throw their nets down and go. That sounds really good. No, he knew these guys. That's important for us to know. And if you look at John chapter 1, verses 19 through chapter 4, verse 42, you'll see the relationship that they have, okay? So um, it's not a first-time encounter. These things are important for us to understand so that, that we don't get mucked up and we don't let people throw us for a loop when they go, hey, these stories don't even drive. And you go, you're right. He's calling him here. He's calling him here. They got nets. Going, He's out in a boat here. What's up with that? Don't freak out. Different times, all right? It's important to know your Bible. Um, and that brings me to the point of saying this. These verses that we're going to look at, I'm going to try to be to the point and even briefer than I was the first service, but there's so much stuff here. When Brent told me that I was going to have to preach these passages, I went, you got to be kidding me. The only thing I see here is that Jesus tells his disciples that he'll make them fishers of men. I guess we'll talk about evangelism. There's enough stuff in these verses that we're about ready to look at that could keep us busy for a really long time. Unfortunately, I only have a handful of minutes. Maybe that's unfortunately but um, we'll try to make some application with the verses. All right, so let's jump in. 
So once again, Jesus, Matthew's writing about Jesus being presented as the king, the Messiah. And he says this in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he returned to Galilee. We'll stop there. I promise you we're not going to go verse by verse. Okay? Um, but, but right there. And what I want to show you is this, is that who's the John he's talking about? John the Baptist, right? So he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. Prior to that, for an entire year, Jesus and John had been doing their ministry, not together, but alongside each other, parallel, kind of in the same area. And, um, and there was crossover, and uh, John's disciples came to see Jesus, and you know, all this kind of stuff that was going on, and that's found back in John. So, so here we see Jesus going to Galilee. He's now theologians and Bible students and those who study will tell you that this is the this passage where we just read is the beginning of the declaration of the ministry of the king okay what we're seeing is this is at this point Jesus begins his full-time kick in the gear earthly ministry all right um, prior to that, he was doing ministry as well. He changed water into wine prior to this. Um, and who was there? The disciples were there when that happened too, right? So they were coming and going, coming and going with Jesus, going back to do their own work, and um, like fishing. And yet um, we're going to see where he talks to them again and um, calls them to be uh, full-time followers of him. So, um, so what, th- what I want you to see first of all is this, that as Matthew lays out this whole concept of Jesus, the king, starting his earthly ministry, I want us to see some principles. And the first one I want to see is that it took place at the right time. It took place at the right time. You go, what's the big deal with that? It says this. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been baptized, had been, I'm sorry, when John the Baptist or John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. What that means is this, is Jesus was in the same vicinity around Jerusalem when John was put into prison. And when he heard, and this is interesting, you would think, well, God, he should know this, right? He's Jesus God. He should know all things. Well, Jesus was limited, and he limited his, his deity because he found out the same way you and I would find out. He kind of heard it through the proverbial grapevine. Hey, John the Baptist has been put in prison. And said so when he heard this, he left. Now, the time was set that when John was put in prison, Jesus would go to Galilee. And this is why Matthew says it happens. Look, he says, leaving Nazareth in verse 13, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Bethlehem, to fulfill that, was that which was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the, uh, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On, the, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It happened, you know where that comes from? That comes from Isaiah chapter 9. 400 years earlier, that was written. And Matthew says that was written about Jesus the king. And the reason that this took place at this time is so this prophecy could be fulfilled. The point that I want you to notice here is that God has a plan. 
God has a plan, a redemptive plan, and he's put it in progress. It's been in progress from the beginning of time. From the time that he dropped Adam and Eve in the garden, he has, been, he has had a plan of redemption. And the plan is taking place. And the, the life of Jesus had been orchestrated, and the events around Jesus' life had been orchestrated before the beginning of time. Because God was in the process of working out a redemptive plan to, to bring those whom he loved to himself. Now, you go, well, okay, that makes sense. Here's what I want to tell you. That should bring us some incredible comfort. Because as far as it goes for us, the good news for us is that there is a plan. That there is a plan. There's a plan for the events that are going on, and there's a plan for our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm a little dis bit discouraged about where we're going as a country. Uh, you know, if you watch the news, you may not care if you don't, but um, I watch the news, I try to read, you know, my, my, my company enforces me to read a lot of stuff, and what I do for work forces me to read a lot of stuff, so I'm kind of up on a lot of things um, politically and um, with the Affordable Care Act and all that kind of stuff, and I'm really kind of distressed. I'm distressed about the world in general, too, right? And and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that, and I look at the world, and I go, man, it's like we're going to hell in a handbasket, you know? I mean, we're just going down this chute, and there's no way to stop, and we're just free-falling to disaster, and I could panic, and I have friends that, that, that kind of panic, and then I look, and I have to remember that there's a plan, that there is a, redempt, a redeemer, there is a king whose name is Jesus, and there is a God, his Father, who's in control and orchestrating all of the events of this world so that the redemptive plan of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can take place. We're part of this amazing mosaic. And here's the other thing, is that we're each pieces of that mosaic. So let's do away. I don't really care about the politics. I don't really care about the Affordable Care Act. It doesn't really affect me, you may say. But the fact is, is that your life your life is in the palm of God's hand. And the events that are taking place in your life and the circumstances that you're facing have been orchestrated by a God who loves you to not only bring you to a place where you repent, trust in Jesus, but also that your life will be part of this incredible plan to achieve the purposes of God. So the things that are going on in your life are ultimately for God's plan. And that part of that plan is that he would shape you and form you and take your desires and your will and your emotions and all those things and conform them to the very image of his son, Jesus. That's what he's about. That is what he is about. And that's what he's doing in our lives. Now, that should, when we really think about it, now I know we're in church, okay? All right, we're doing the church thing, right? And we probably heard that before. Um, and, and so we think, well, yeah, okay, I got that. But that's good news for us. That's really good news. Because I don't know about you, but my life doesn't always go the way that I want it to. Things don't always work out. Have you ever said, why is this going on? Or how did I get in this mess? Or why am I in this mess now? You know, and we have to think through. Now, some of it's because of sin, but ultimately, 
we're in the circumstances that we're in because God is in the process of working out his redemptive plan in our lives, in our lives. And that should bring us great comfort. That should bring us comfort to know that we are in his plan and that he is in our lives. And if we respond to the circumstances in a biblical way, in a way that's obedient to him, then amazing things are going to happen. Amazing things. Now, I'm not promising you're going to be rich. I'm not promising you that you're going to be healed. I'm not promising you any of these things because I can't do that. And truthfully, neither do the scriptures. What the scriptures promise us is this, that if we, as people of God, believers in Jesus Christ, live in obedience to him through every circumstance, that ultimately we will stand before him and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so the events of our lives, the events of history and our, the circumstances of our neighborhoods are all orchestrated in this amazing mosaic that ultimately God will receive glory and that we will be in his presence forever and ever and ever. And that's a pretty cool thing. Now, I have this pastor, I had this pastor when I was in college and, and he used to say this, he goes, and he would make a statement and I, he, I would just kind of look at him, you know, and say that, yeah. And he goes, hey, Mike, if that doesn't, if that doesn't turn you on, then you ain't got no switches. And so I would say to you, you know, when you think about that, if that doesn't turn you on, then maybe you ain't got no switches. Just a thought. Okay. Um, so not only does Jesus come at the right time, but he also comes to the right place. He comes to Galilee. Now, you would think that if, G, if, if you were orchestrating this, and the Jewish people, the religious people thought this, if God was orchestrating this whole Jesus thing, then if Jesus was really going to be the king, shouldn't he show up at the place where the king should be, which would be the city of Jerusalem? But you know what happens? As soon as John the Baptist is put in prison, Jesus leaves the area of Jerusalem and he goes out to north of there, way north of there, to a city, the, the area of Galilee, to the city of Capernaum. And he's there. Now you're going, well, what's that about? Well, the point is, is that Galilee is not exactly the Mecca of, like, religious good people. It's like the outskirts. It's like the wrong side of the tracks for the, uh, the people of Israel and the Jewish people. And so he goes up in the north end. Now, Galilee, the, the whole area of Galilee is 30 miles wide and about 70 miles long. And the historian Josephus tells us that in that area at that time, there were about 200 cities crammed in that there. And every one of the cities had at least 15,000 people in it, okay? If you do the math, then that means that there were over 2 million people crammed into this one little area. And so what Jesus finds himself is on the wrong side of the tracks with the people who don't fit in with the religious people down in Jerusalem, okay? And he's out there with the ruffians, and he's out there with the people that aren't really all that religious, and he's out there with the fishermen and all those guys, and a lot of Gentiles are in that area, because if you look at what Isaiah chapter 9 says, it says, it is, in fact, it even says that, let me make sure I, I quote this right, it says that it's Galilee of the Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, if you're a Jew, Gentiles aren't a good thing at that time, all right? And, and what he's saying is this, is that this King Jesus, who he's proclaiming, who the religious people would think that would be in Jerusalem if he's king and dealing with the religious people, leaves that and goes in the outskirts where the ruffians live and the non-Jews live, 
and the Jews that are Jews aren't really that Jewish out there, and he's living out there with two million people, and he begins to do ministry with them, and he lives with them for a long period of time. In fact, the next several chapters is about his Galilean ministry and what he's involved in. And so the scriptures tell us that he that Jesus goes there because it's the right place for him to be. Now, he goes there because the people need the truth. He goes there because the people need redemption. And he goes there because those people are lost. And he also goes there because the scriptures tell us the people were amazingly receptive. Amazingly receptive. And he preaches that the kingdom of God is at hand. God, in the right time, at the right place, moves the king. Now, the entire time this is happening, the religious people are like scratching their heads going, nah, he can't be the king. There's no way he can be the king. Look where he is. Look at the people he's talking to. Now, the spiritual application I have for this is, is for us is this, is that we usually think when we, want Je- when we invite Jesus into our lives that he's going to come into those religious areas, right? That Jesus is going to come into the religious area of our, of our lives. He's going to invade us in the area of church, maybe the Bible study we in. We expect him to be there when we read the Bible and when we pray. But, but, and that's where we would want him to be. But what happens is, is that when we invite Jesus into our lives and we trust him as our Savior, he comes into our lives and begins to go in the areas that we don't want him. That's what happens. He comes in and all of a sudden you go, I'm okay with this Jesus after all. I've trusted in him. Now I'm going to heaven. And then he comes in and he says, hey, wait a second. Um, I want to be involved in your dating life. You go, oh. He comes in and goes, I want to be involved in your marriage. And I want you to love your spouse no matter what. You go, oh. He comes in and he goes, you're not supposed to laugh about that one. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I would laugh too. So, because uh, it's hard for me. I have found out that I'm extremely selfish. Never thought I was. Marriage has this way of just letting you see who you are. So you think you're good now? Get married. And the person you marry will point out all the areas where you are not like Jesus really quick. So um, they come into your business. They come into, they come, he, Jesus comes into your business. He comes into the way you, he comes into, he comes into your area and he wants to know what you're watching on the internet. He wants to know what kind of movies you're going to. He wants to know what you're reading. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he comes and he starts messing around with our lives because he's the king. And he comes into the right places, not the places that we think he ought to be, but he comes into the places in our lives where he needs to be. And I guess that's the application for us here, is that when Jesus comes into our lives, he comes in not only at the right time, but he comes into the right places to shape us and form us and make us into people after God's own heart. All right, so not only does, he, does the king come at the right time, 
in the right place, but he also comes with the right message. Look at verse 17 where it says this. For the, for, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is in our midst is basically what he's saying. He's not just saying, uh, you know, and oh, well, let me back up. When he talks about repentance, and this is really important, when the scriptures talk about repentance, it's not just talking about saying, I'm, for us to say, I'm sorry for my sin, and I feel really bad, and geez, whatever. Repentance means this. Repentance means to turn from, to turn from. And so when the scriptures talk about repentance, and when Jesus talks about repentance, he's saying that you were once going this way, but now you must turn to me. You must understand that you were on your own, that you were on, you were going your own way. You were doing your deal. And you realize that you can't have a right relationship with God because there's sin in your life. And so what you do is you say you're sorry for your, that sin, but then you turn in repentance. It means to turn, to be convicted, and to move the other direction. And you not only trust in me as your Savior, but then you move into, this is an important word, you move into obedience. Because repentance is not just saying you're sorry. Repentance leads to obedience. Repentance leads to obedience. So are you repentant? You'll know because you'll be obedient. When my son was very young, somewhere between two and three, I had the opportunity. At that time, I didn't consider it an opportunity. It was just fun. But um, to watch him one day a week uh, when I was off. I had a middle of the week day off and I would take that day off and, and, and watch him while my wife worked and he wouldn't have to go to the sitter and so um, this one day I was watching him and we had done some things and I think we had just finished up lunch and he was in the living room playing and I was in the kitchen cleaning stuff up and I started hearing this bonk, bonk bonk and I go out in the living room and he's standing there with a blue racquetball ball going and then picking it up and going throwing it against the wall in the living room. And I look at the wall in the living room, and they're painted kind of this off-white. Now they have all these little, like, blue spots where it's going, and I go, yo, Drew, what are you doing? And, it, and I said, don't throw the ball against the wall anymore. Look at the marks. And he goes, okay, Daddy, I love you. And I said, I love you too. Thank you. And I felt really good. You know, it was one of those Bonnie moments. You know, you go, man, I communicate with my son. This is great. I go back in the kitchen, and less than a minute later, I hear this, Bonk, 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 and I go back out there and I go, Drew. I said, don't throw the ball against the wall. He says, I love you, Daddy. And I said these words, Drew. If you love me, then obey me. And talk on it. As soon as I said that, I promise you, I heard God say to me, Do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> Do you hear what you're saying? Because God says to us, you say that you love me, then obey me. Jesus says, I gave my life for you. Obey me. The message of the king is this. Turn from your sin, repent, and obey. Why can he, de why can he demand that? Because he is the king he is the king. So it came 
at the right time, in the right place, with the right message. And then he says, then it says and shows us that he also comes and gathers the right partners. Look what it says in verse 18. And this is the most important, or not the most important, but the most um, talked about passage in this section of Matthew 4. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, and they, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in the boat with their father Zebedee. Preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I've heard this, these passages preached a lot of times because this is a good one, right? Because well, this was a good one because people would say, okay, this means that we're supposed to be fishers of men, that we're supposed to be, into, uh, be people out there sharing our faith. And, um, and rightfully so, that's true. But I want you to notice this, um, that Jesus invites these guys into ministry with him. Do you realize that Jesus didn't need to do that? He could have done, he could have from the beginning of time planned to be the man. He could have been the only one and that's all he needed. Truthfully, that's all he needed. He could have done everything on his own. He could have redeemed the entire world unto himself through himself. He could have done that. And yet in his plan, in the redemptive plan that we're part of, right, the right time, the right plan for us, he invites his, these guys to be part of that plan. It's the same thing he does for us. Get this, he saves us and invites us to be part of the plan. Now, you look at the people say, well, okay, I'm okay with being invited to be part of the plan, but don't say that I have to be a fisher of men because I don't have the gift of evangelism. After all, the gift of evangelism is a spiritual gift, is it not? And I would go, yes. And I said, well, then I don't have that gift. I got some other gift. I'm not sure what it is, but I know it's not that one, right? Now, let me just say this. I don't think that when the disciples were in their boats, okay, and Jesus called him out of the boat, and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that they jumped up and said, great, I've got the gift of evangelism. Let me go out and do all this stuff. I, I promise you they didn't. You know why I know this? Because they didn't have the gift of evangelism. They did not. They didn't have the gift of mercy. They didn't have many gifts at all. In fact, I'm still trying to figure out, and I'm thankful he did, because it's, I can say the same thing about me, and you could probably say the same thing about you. I'm still trying to figure out why he called them and why he called me up. Once again, I'm thankful, and I know they are too, and you, pro you are as well. But truthfully, you look at these guys, they were ruffians, right? They're fishermen. He calls them to follow him, be his full-time disciples. Once again, we said before, if you look back in the scriptures, you'll see that prior to this, they were in interaction doing other things. But now he's calling them to be his full-time disciples. Leave your nets, leave everything, leave your dad, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And, um, and he invites them into the plan. The reason I know these guys didn't have the gift of evangelism is because, you know, if you look, read through the Gospels and you don't even have to read, like, searching, you'll see this. First thing they do is they, like, they come and all these little children are trying to get to Jesus and they chase them off. <laughs> go away. Go away, children. Go away. He doesn't have time for you. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let these children come to me, you know. And then uh, they're, they're out and he's preaching. And there's 5,000 people. And the disciples come to him and say, tell these people to go away. Tell them to go away. They're, they're getting grouchy. They need some food. They need something to drink. It's getting late. Just tell them to get out of here, Jesus. We're tired. 
And Jesus tells them to feed them. And then, the, you know, that whole story where they go, we don't have anything. All we got is these stinking f- few fish and a couple loaves of bread. And, and Jesus does a miracle there. And then, and then later in the passage, I, I think, I can't remember exactly. Let me think I wrote it down. I love this one. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, um, yeah, it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Uh, the disciples are, are told by Jesus to go into the area of Samaria and prepare a place for him because he's on his way coming into the city. And the people weren't re- real receptive of Jesus coming. And so the disciples go back to Jesus and say, hey, they don't really want us here. They don't want you here. They don't want us here. We got a great idea. Why don't you allow us to call fire out of heaven and consume them? Now, that's real evangelism right there, isn't it? I mean, let's just burn them. You know, let's just toast their butts. And, um, and so they didn't have any gifts of evangelism. They didn't. But in fact, later on, you see Peter denying Jesus. They all run. They scatter. When they're confronted, um, they deny Christ. All kind of crazy stuff is going on. But what happens is this. A few chapters later, you see them start to be and become the men that Jesus uses to build his church and change the world for the gospel. The same guys that were chasing off little kids and calling fire down out of heaven on people. What happened? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit comes in the day of Pentecost, which, by the way, those of us that are followers of Christ now have indwelling in our lives, the very person of God himself and the Holy Spirit living in us to empower us to be able to do those things that we can't do. But what they also did was this. They just obeyed. They just obeyed. Jesus calls us to be partners in this whole incredible redemptive plan. He calls me and you to be partners. And if we obey, what God does is changes our hearts and allows us to be the means by which people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, people say, well, I don't, I don't know. I never took any, I never taken any class on evangelism. I really don't know. I mean, that's a good word for us. You know, I, when I take that class, I'll start sharing my faith. Oh, come on. Come on. I'm not even a Boise State fan, and I'm wearing the colors, Okay. If I, was, if I know Jesus, I can talk about him. I talk about Boise State. I'm from Boise. I, I, I'm a Boise fan, right? I really am. But I, I don't cry when they lose. And, you know, and, and I, I'm okay with that. But the point I'm making is this. When we obey, when we do what we're supposed to do because he's the king of our lives and he's called us to be repentant and obey, when we obey him and we seek to let him take control of our lives in every area, something starts happening. Our hearts begin to come in tune with his heart. And we may not have the gift of evangelism, but have you ever been in a situation, have you ever been in a situation where you'd been in before and maybe it was, you know, I don't know, with some friends and things like that, and you'd done this maybe a thousand times, hundred times in your life, and at that moment you thought, it's this one specific moment in time and space you thought, yeah, you know, these friends of mine really need to know Jesus. You ever done that? You ever done that? Boy, I really should probably say something in, these, in this instance about the truth of Jesus. You know what that is? Is That's God prompting us to just share the story. You know, we don't have to argue with them about how old the earth is and 
whether or not the Bible jives. We just need to tell them what God has done for us. Here's the deal. I I don't get this. It's the coolest thing in the world, and hopefully I'll be able to communicate it to you. Is that Jesus calls me and you to be his children. He says, obey me. And in that obedience, part of that obedience is being fishers of men. And all that means is sharing what God has done with for us. This is what I know. This is, this is what the one guy said. Hey, I don't know. All I know is I was once blind and now I see. You figure it out, right? That's what he said to those. That's what he said to the Pharisees. I was blind. Now I see. Pretty important to me, this Jesus guy. We say, you know what? This is who I was. And this is what Jesus has done for me. When we speak the truth, we don't have to be bold. We don't have to go in there slapping a Bible around and, you know, getting all up in people's face. No, we just need to tell our friends. Just share what's going on in our lives. When that happens, we don't, we're not the ones that change people's hearts anyway. You know that, right? We can't convince somebody to believe in Jesus. We can't convince them their, their heart to change. The Spirit of God has to do that. But he takes the words that we say and somehow, by his Spirit, applies them to those people's lives and people's respond to the gospel, not because we're that great, but not because we're Billy Graham. By the way, have you ever listened to Billy Graham? All right, he's an okay preacher. There he was. He's like, some of you don't even know who Billy Graham was. But um, he was this great evangelist. He was probably the greatest evangelist that um, ever lived since the Apostle Paul. And, um, and he's an American guy, and he was back a few years ago, and he would go for, you know, back in his 60s, 70s, and 80s. He would travel all over the world, and I would watch him. I watched a crusade he did here at in Boise, Idaho on the TV about a year and a half ago. It was a rerun on some thing, and they were showing Billy Graham preached in Boise, Idaho, and I listened to the sermon, and all I did was stand up and say, you need Jesus, and um, Jesus died for your sins, and he didn't try to explain evolution. He explained, and all of a sudden, in Boise, Idaho, at the stadium, or whatever this is over here, what's the one that used to be the taco deal? I don't know what it is now. They, they were in that thing, and people just started coming down. I go, what is it with Billy Graham? It's not Billy Graham. Billy Graham just told the truth. The Spirit of God changes hearts. If we tell the truth, the Spirit of God changes hearts. And when the Spirit of God changes hearts and we tell the truth, this is the cool part about it. God gives us credit for that. Isn't that weird? We get credit for what he does, all because we just open our mouth. I mean... There are people in heaven, people say, there are people in heaven because you shared your faith. Well, that's true. There are people in heaven, but they're in heaven or they're on their way to heaven because God's spirit worked and convicted them of their sin, their need for repentance, their need to trust in his work, just like he did in our lives. But when we open our mouths, we get credit. That's way cool. So we're going to show up and God's going to say, good job. That was awesome. And we go, you did it. You did it. He goes, yeah, but you opened your mouth. You were man enough, woman enough. You loved me enough to tell the truth. Anyway, I just think that's cool. And I trip over the speaker. Okay. So God invites us to be partners in this. And then finally, Jesus not only came at the right time, in the right place with the right message asking the right partners to join but he had the right plan 
Look what it says in verses 23 through 25. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. Masses. He was with two million people, and yet people were coming from all over Jerusalem, all over because they heard about Jesus during this time that he was in Galilee, during his, during his Galilean ministry. And the reason and, and the plan that Jesus had to do this is this. Teach the truth, preach the truth, and heal. He's invited us into his plan. We've already talked about this. Teaching, teaching is just giving information. Preaching is basically telling the good news. Preaching goes where it's almost like you're just so excited about something and you're telling people about it. And then teaching is filling in the gaps, giving them the information to back up that which you're, you're proclaiming. And then it says that Jesus healed, and you're not going to do that, by the way, because he was God. He could do that. God heals. God heals. And, w- and when Jesus healed, and he still heals, but as far as us having the gift and the power that Jesus had, we're not. But what he does is he invites us into his plan to allow us, in a lot of ways, to be part of that healing through sharing the gift of mercy, through prayer, through encouragement, through all kinds of means where we can be the means, in a lot of ways, the means of grace in people's lives, to rally around people, to encourage, to, to, to give where people need, to bend over backwards for others, to think more of others than we think of ourselves, and to live that kind of life. And he invites us into this. He invites us into this amazing, redemptive plan. And you're in it whether you know it or not. Because there is a plan. Because there is a king who is a redeemer. Who ultimately will come back in glory and rule. And he's invited us. He's invited us to be part of that experience. And it starts by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, knowing that he came and lived a perfect life and died to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross and then rose again from the grave and turns to us and says, because of my death and my resurrection, I can offer you the gift of life if you will just repent, right, and believe. Turn to me in obedience and belief. And when you do, and when you do, I will take your life wherever you are and use you for the kingdom sake, the kingdom of Christ. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we're here.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the truth of the gospel. Thanks for the redemptive work of our King Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having a plan. Thank you for making us part of that plan. Thank you for inviting us into that plan. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that enables us to believe and to obey and then empowers us to speak the truth. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that takes that truth and changes lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who changes lives and empowers our friends to, to have victory over sin and empowers us to have victory over sin. And God, we would pray that you would help us to stop being so short-sighted and see that we're part of a big plan and an incredible, incredible mosaic of the redemptive work of God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son that if we would believe in him, that we would have life and not perish and someday be able to stand in your presence and know the joy and the peace and the amazing, amazing, amazing presence of Jesus our King. In whose name we pray.